like they always do. Uh, so Jonah uh, was a horrible person. From the beginning of the story to the end, he's not that great. And you may say, well, Benjamin, we're in, we're in Jonah chapter 2 today, and I remember in Jonah chapter 2 that he has this beautiful prayer inside of him. And that's true. He does. But the context of it, it's, it's bracketed. You can always tell like when a, a, a biblical author wants to section off a thing and, because they'll have a similar saying at the first of a section and they'll end with it too. They just It's sort of brackets. And if you ever see that, you're saying, oh, they want us to stop and consider this section as a whole. And so we get to Jonah, actually not Jonah chapter 2, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, the last uh, verse in, in Jonah chapter 1. And it says that God spoke to a big fish. Not a well. Quit saying it's a whale. Heathen. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. It doesn't tell what kind of fish um, because the Bible doesn't care and neither should you. Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now my kids had a book about this. It was called the Children's Bible. The Children's Bible had little pages and told stories. It told about creation um, and it told about Adam and Eve and like uh, and, and uh, effectively placed leaves. And then it uh, told about the flood and Abraham. And it told about, uh, and then it got to Jonah. And it told the story of Jonah. And the picture provided for the story of Jonah was a whale. And it was blowing its water out of its blowhole. And there was a cutaway so that you could see Jonah inside. Because you can't see him just from the regular side. And so you had to, they had they drawn a circle. And you could see Jonah in there sitting at his desk. I'm not lying to you. There was a desk. It was like this. It was, and there was a candle on it. He was praying. Just at a desk. How convenient. He had rented out a third floor walk-up whale. And he was praying there. There's Jonah. Oh, holy Praying that praying to God and Jonah prayed to God and God saved him. Jonah got thrown in the water and God saved him. Nothing, nothing else. Jonah got thrown in the water and God saved him. God provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We can't read it at this point in the story. Let me go back real quick. At this point in the story, in the Old Testament, if we're just walking through the Old Testament, trying to pretend like we're with them as we walk through it, we can't pretend here that this is point. This is saying, hey, remember Jesus? But Jesus goes back and grabs the scripture and says, hey, from death to life I will go. Because that's what Jonah praises God for. 
In Jonah chapter 2, it says, from, the, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths and into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled around about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Now at this point, this is a very common uh, a theme of a song. So like, they, had, they had ways of structuring songs in their day. Just like, you know, you know, we have verse one chorus, verse two chorus. That's kind of how we go. And then um, like the newer songs are like uh, verse one chorus, verse two chorus, really hard bridge that I can't ever wrap my hand around. Chorus, 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 chorus. And <laughs> I just thought of that and it was funny, so I said it. You can blame my dad. But they had a very structure. This is called a Thanksgiving song. Basically, I was in trouble and God helped me, and here's how. And so he, he does, Jonah does what is normal for someone in this situation to do. He was in trouble and God helped him, and there was a way out. And so he, sing, he sang a song about being in trouble and God helping him. But remember the bracket. Remember the beginning. God called the fish to swallow him. We're going to get to the end in just a second. But I want you to just kind of feel the build of the praise of Jonah to God. I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Or brought my life from the pit here. Could mean uh, from death, from Hades. from There's a lot of what things that this could mean. But NIV translates it from the pit. You brought me up. Brought my life up out of the pit. Where my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Then God made the fish throw him up. So two things God calls the fish to do. Swallow him and throw him up. Not spit him out. The word here is kaya, which that's like, you know, like when you have a baby um, and there's a, and the baby, like sometimes people like hold the baby and then they shake them real good and hand them back to you and they just like stuff come, you know, like that spit up. And until you get the first, like, demon possession baby sickness, you don't know what it's like until you're just holding them and they're, that's Kaya. There are, there are, it is, it, that, that the, the, they, they used to, they used to write home and say, we were really nervous last night. The baby Kaya all over the living room. 
It was, it was the worst way to get sick to your stomach. It was the most public way. It was the most unclean way to get sick. He, he, the fish kayad Jonah. And to me, this is, the, this is an example of, of literature that we do not have in our uh, Bible a whole lot. Jonah has an element of parody to it. Parody, like Saturday Night Live, where he is building a story or telling the story and emphasizing things to make you see, oh my goodness, Jonah's prayer even made the fish sick. I will shout, but I... Notice how, notice how he's drawing lines here. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And if we know the rest of the story, or, actually, you don't even have to know the rest of the story. You just have to know the first of the story. God, the one from whom salvation comes, called Jonah to go preach salvation to people, and he said, no, not them. And we saw last week that it's not because he was afraid of them. He didn't go because he was afraid that salvation was actually going to come. He was afraid that the Ninevites, the people that he didn't like, the people that were foreign to him, weren't, they were going to get treated the same way he got treated. Oh yes, salvation can come from the Lord, but only to whom I please. Oh yes, Jesus died for us all, but only for whom I please. This is not a prayer of thanksgiving that the narrator appreciates. Here's what's crazy. It's true. The prayer is true. Salvation does come from the Lord. He does deliver our life from it. He does bring us up. But the commentary of Jonah is not about how wonderful, how jo Jonah was right. The commentary is that the fact that he's doing the things he's doing while proclaiming the things he's proclaiming, they aren't meshing and they even make the animals sick. The, the fact that they, he, he builds this beautiful prayer and then God makes him get kayad out of a fish is a point of emphasis in Jonah. Um, I know you felt this way before. I know you felt like, I know God wants me to forgive that person. I know God wants me to talk to that person. But if he wants that, he's going to have to swallow me with a fish and throw me up in their living room. I know you felt that strain. And I know you felt this too. 
I know you felt this. This is, this is a feeling we feel when we focus on the cross, when we stand, gather around the table and remember what Jesus has done for us. We say, God has lifted me up out of the depths. Is he, are you saying that here and then living it there? Because our wordy prayers not lived out do damage to the kingdom of God. Don't claim it, and, and especially don't claim it uh, beautifully and, and if you're not going to live it. Salvation does belong to God. So don't try to be the gatekeeper. Forgiveness and mercy and grace and redemption and righteousness belong to God, but don't try to decide who gets the delivery and who gets left out. It's not your choice to make. You've got to proclaim it. The most loving thing you can do is to tell someone the gospel. Not the, hey, I know you're busy checking people out at Walmart and everything, um, but you're a sinner. And, no, not that. But let the gospel slip its way into your conversation. It's a great day, isn't it? It is. Jesus is alive. Now, you might get about 50, whoa, slow down, psycho, looks, before you get one person to go, you know what? That's right. Where, what? Tell me about that. But those 50 looks of you're crazy are worth every bit of energy for that person who needs and is looking for Jesus. Everybody needs it. But not everybody's looking. And we can't be picky. One of the worst thoughts I have I had this thought sometimes. And I'd, I confess my thoughts to Rachel sometimes and I'll have to say, hey Rachel, here's a thought I had. Please don't judge me. It just jumped in my head. I can't help it. Um, and she's bound to secrecy to not tell anyone about anything. But here's one I'm going to confess to you. And I think it's one that is just, it eats me up when it pops in my head because I have to, I have to really challenge myself on this. They would be a good fit at our church. I'm guessing you thought that too. You know what the implication of that is? That some people aren't good fits at our church. And that sort, that sort of thought is from Satan. 
Now, whoever you're thinking about that, thinking that about, absolutely tell them the gospel. But when we think that, think what makes them, what makes me think they are a good fit at our church? What makes me think that? If I can list the things, then I need to flip all those things on their head and go find people like that. I want people who aren't good fits at our church. I want people who don't look like me, who don't sound like me, who don't have the same background as I do, because then and only then can the glory of God be shown through the kingdom of God. Unity is fine when it's just a bunch of white people. But real unity is whenever we have different colors and different um, backgrounds and different uh, different experiences, when we can listen to each other, when we can disagree with each other and still love Jesus together. I don't want people who fit into our church. I want God to join us together, all broken and, and different and alike and, and rich and poor and black white, Hispanic, um, from every corner of the world. I want church to look like the, the, the kingdom of heaven where the, the, every tongue and every nation, different languages. And guys, English hasn't been around that long. Throughout the history of the world, there's a good, the highest percentage of people speak Spanish or Latin. You're going to be the minority English speaker in heaven. You're going to have to press four for English. We, we want... Whenever, whenever God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go speak to the people of Nineveh, Jonah's thought was, I don't think they would be a good fit for our church. It sounded like that. So, I, I think we need to go to our Ninevehs and speak the gospel. Jesus is king. His death, burial, and resurrection are for you. His kingship is for you. I want, I want it to look like the actual kingdom of heaven. And listen, we're, we are what we are. I love our church. But I don't want there to ever get a place, I don't want us to ever get to a place where there's such a thing as a good fit. And we might need to change our instincts on that a little bit. I know I do. Because I think that sometimes, and I just, as soon as I do, I think, oh, man, what is it inside of me? And I'm working on it. 
what's your Nineveh? Because until you address that, until you figure out the people that make you uncomfortable and then you're willing to unite with them in Jesus, until you do that, there's a good chance your prayers and your wording are just fluff. You eat too much fluff. Your life is full of kayak. I want to be better than this. I want to look for people that God can fit in. Where, where if someone comes into this church and they are, they are part and united with this church, the, on, the only explanation is that God is good and His grace is perfect. Because God is indeed good. And His grace is indeed perfect. And Jesus has brought our lives out of the pit. He has rescued us when we couldn't rescue ourselves. So go to Nineveh. And let your prayers be something that uplift and glorify God. If you need anything this morning, if you want to unite with Jesus, if you want to be rescued from the pit, if you want to repent from having an ideal church, please come forward while we stand. I heard no story, now I say the game.